just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Tuesday. We're moving through the week. And, of course, I'm recording in Burlington, Vermont. My wife and I are away for the week. We're headed back home on Thursday. But for the time being, we are in Burlington, Vermont. And we love it here. It's absolutely beautiful. The colors are beautiful. We took a little day trip yesterday. We got in the car, went south of Burlington to a bridge, crossed over into New York, upstate New York, and headed over to Lake Placid. Now, as I told you in yesterday's show, Lake Placid is kind of a mecca to my wife and to me to a certain extent, because that's where the 1980 Olympic hockey team won the gold medal. Now, for those of you that weren't alive during this time period, you have to understand it was not only a big sports event, maybe one of the biggest sports events in the history of this country, but it was really a turning point for this country. Things were going badly. Uh, Jimmy Carter had been president. The economy wasn't going well. Ronald Reagan is coming in. We had the um, terrorist holding, uh, Iranian terrorist holding Americans custody for like 444 days, and they were just getting out. And uh, the country seemed like it was getting beaten up pretty bad. And then when um, America played the Russians in the 1980 Winter Olympics and beat them, everybody was surprised, and I'm guessing even some of the folks uh, that were on the team were surprised. I remember a story. I don't know if I told you this story. You know that I grew up with one of the guys on the 80 Olympic team. Uh, I also worked with the radio station in 1979 that covered the Minnesota Gophers winning the national championship in Detroit. Uh, So I'm working with the radio station. My friend is playing on the team with the Gophers. And of course, we're hanging out. And I got to know a lot of the Minnesota boys. So that's how I ended up knowing a number of the uh, players on the 80 Olympic team. There were a lot of Minnesotans there. But I remember a particular story, and I don't know if Mike would remember it or not, probably not, Um, but it was right after he tried out for the Olympic team for 1980. This was late 79 or whatever. And he'd come over to my house, and my brother and I were in our bedroom just hanging out, laying around. We're 19 years old, just doing nothing. He comes on and he says, listen, man, I just made the Olympic hockey team. I go, no shit. That's cool. That's exciting. You know, I knew he was a great hockey player. I knew he played college and he went to our high school. He played high school hockey there. But now he's on the Olympic team. Now, nobody really thought that that the Americans would ever beat the Russians. In fact, my brother asked him while we're all sitting there on the beds he said mike do you think you'll beat the russians and mike said oh fuck no we have no chance against them but it'll be still cool to be in the olympics and he was right about that had they not beaten the russians it would have still been a cool event um and then of course the only thing i could come up with i says uh 
uh, I said, you know, there's that skater that's pretty hot these days. Uh, what was her? Linda Fradiani, Italian girl. She was this beautiful skater. She was about our age. I said, well, maybe you can meet her. That would make it all worthwhile. Well, of course, after that, then um, then he went on to play in the Olympics. They won the gold medal. And another weird story about that. Uh, while they were playing in Lake Placid, I'd taken a job at a shitty little radio station in northern Arizona. So I'm upset. They're playing in the Olympic game. They win the gold medal. I'm all excited, but I'm in northern Arizona, and nobody gives a shit. (laughs) So I talked to uh, my friend Mike on the phone earlier in the day, the day after the gold medal thing. And I said, dude, would you come on the radio show with me and I'll I'll do an interview with you. That would be really cool if you could do that. He said, sure, I'll do that. So I go back to my boss at the radio station. I said, listen, man, I can do an interview with one of the guys that's on the Olympic hockey team that just won the gold medal. He looked at me and he says, "Uh, where's he at right now? I said, well, he's in fucking Lake Placid for Christ's sake. He said, you know, (laughs) those long distance rates are pretty heavy. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. (laughs) People in Arizona didn't give a fuck. I didn't do the interview. Of course, I've talked to him a number of times since then. But what I always find interesting, um, his daughter played for the women's gopher hockey team, and he said, you should come out and see her play. And my wife and I did. We loved women's gopher hockey. In fact, since his daughter has graduated a long time ago we've still maintained season tickets because we love the hockey it's not crazy crowded it's not very expensive we've even gone on some trips like to Quinnipiac when they were in the national tournament we love them but the thing that always strikes me is interesting when we're ever in a hockey rink someplace and Mike Ramsey happens to be there of course I want to talk to him we're just bullshitting about the past and all that stuff but you can't you can't 40 years later, he walks two feet. Somebody's coming up to him, talking to him about the Olympics. You know, they got their kids that are seven years old that are excited to meet Mike Ramsey. Their parents weren't even born when he was in the gold medal game. With, or, or that The rushing game wasn't the gold medal game, but that was the big, the big game. These kids and their parents weren't even born yet. That's the most amazing thing. <clears throat> and he told me one time, he says, you know, I don't get tired of talking to people who want to talk about the Olympics because I know it was a big deal. But people have to understand the period of time I was on that uh, Olympic team practicing and then playing was like three months out of my life. Fucking three months. That's all they want to talk about. He said, I played 17 years in the NHL for the Buffalo Sabres and a couple of other places. I was on the national championship gopher team. But all they want to talk is about those three minutes out of my life. And I get it. I get it, man. And I told him, I said, I said, you know, dude, you're my friend. Um, I'm proud of you. But as far as I'm concerned, you're just another South Minneapolis fuck like me. So excuse me if I treat you just the same as I did in high school, because anything other than that would be fake. And I'm not doing that. And he says, cool, man, that's most people don't do that. So I appreciate it. So anyway, (laughs) those are a couple of stories regarding the 80 Olympic team. Uh, But we went to Lake Placid, and I got to tell you, man, fucking adorable town. I had no idea. We went in and saw the rink where they played. 
that was kind of cool. My wife was excited. That's like something off her bucket list. She loves hockey, and she wanted to go there probably worse than I did. And when we got there, she was very excited. Now, there are two rinks up there. There's the 1932 rink and the 1980 rink. The 80 rink is where America won the Olympic gold medal in 80. The 32 rink, 1932 rink, is kind of interesting, too, because there was... Uh, an Olympic event back then, prior to World War II, clearly. But one of the famous people that skated on that rink was Sonia Henning. Now, you got to be really old to remember that. I mean, that was before my time, but I've read history books and that kind of shit. And Sonia Henning uh, was an amazing talent. And for the time, kind of a hottie. She got very popular, kind of a sex symbol back in the 30s. But uh, the whole experience was great. We walked around the town. We saw all the stuff. It was a great time. And then we went back. And to come back, you have to go across Lake Champlain, which is a beautiful lake. And instead of going back the way we came over the bridge, we went up through Plattsburgh, I think. And then we got on a ferry and took the ferry across over into Vermont. So it was a full day. Did I study much about what's going on in the news? Fuck no, I didn't. I've been reading for the last hour or so just to kind of catch up. But let's get down to getting and uh, let's talk about what's happening. I have a few emails to read, first of all, as I normally do. First one comes from Gordy. He says, hello, I wanted to thank you for reading and responding to my emails and your great advice. I have two questions. We know dipshit Donnie will be testifying in a sexual abuse charge this week after delaying it for two years. My question is, can he plead the fifth in his deposition? Any insight into the new evidence that inflated his normal um, charge when housing the government employees? Can he be charged with a crime for this? Thanks again for your podcast. I listen every day and follow you on TikTok. I love your content, Gordy. Now, in terms of the the whole thing with charging the Secret Service exorbitant amounts of money for hotel rooms, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, But can Donnie plead the fifth? First of all, if you don't know, um, Donald Trump is going to have to testify in the lawsuit that E. Jean Carroll has against him. We talked about that just recently, but I'll remind you. This is a case where E. Jean Carroll claims in the 90s that Donald Trump essentially raped her in, uh, in a department store. Now, nothing ever came out of it at that point, and, and any charges for the rape is past the statute of limitations, so nothing there. But... When Donald Trump was accused of it, you know, he made some shitty comments. Well, look at her. She's not even my type. She's not good enough for me. So then she decided to sue him for defamation of character. Sound familiar? Yeah. Kind of like Alex Jones and the the, uh, Sandy Hook parents. Anyway, she had to sue him. And she's been needing him to testify. And he's been dicking around, as he does. And he's been avoiding it for two years. Well, the judge just last week said, enough of this bullshit. You're not running out the clock. You're going to have to testify. Now, I think he even said that he was going to plead the fifth. And and I think a lot of people think pleading the fifth is a a get-out-of-jail-free card. And it's not. 
I mean, it's basically admitting to the crime. Um, See, here's the thing. When somebody pleads the fifth in a criminal case, the jury's instructed and the judge won't use that against him in whether he's guilty or not. It can't be used in the case. However, in a civil case like this, the jury can presume his guilt when he pleads the fifth. So I don't know that pleading the fifth is going to do him all that great a a benefit. I don't. In fact, I think it might hurt him. Now, this is Donald Trump, so, of course, he will fuck it up one way or another. I wouldn't worry about him pleading the fifth. He might very well do that, uh, but uh, I don't think it's going to matter. The fact that he's going to have to testify under oath is really going to put him in a bad situation. All right, next email. It was cool hearing my email read on your podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. By the way, maggot is pronounced maggot. (laughs) He writes MAGA in capital letters and a small t, and I probably messed up the pronunciation. I'll check in with you when you're back from Bernieville. Now, Elvin, he's a gentleman that wrote this. Uh, Elvin, I talked to him before I left about being on the show and it sounds like he's going to be on the show, and that's awesome. That's cool. So we'll uh, we'll put him on the show when I get back. Um, I appreciate the clarification on the pronunciation of maggot. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of a story when I was a little kid. I don't think my brother can eat rice anymore, ever, ever again for like the last 50 years. We were having rice for uh, dinner one day, chicken and rice or something like that. And I was a smart ass, and he was my little brother, and I gave him nothing but shit all the time. And I, I just had the chicken. I didn't have the rice, and he had the rice. He goes, why aren't you eating the rice? And I looked at him. I go, dude, those, that isn't rice. Those are maggots. <laughs> and he kind of choked up at the table. He got up and ran off, didn't eat dinner. And I think every time he sits down and looks at rice right now, he thinks it's maggots. Well, of course it's not, but you can thank his older brother for setting that fucking thing off in his head. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that he and I are good friends and we hang out together. Probably the one guy I trust more than anything. But as an older brother, I was a bit of a dick. And that's probably not surprising because you'll say, Mike, you're 62 years old. You're still kind of a dick. I know my family would say that, and I'm sure some of you would too. Anyway, thanks, Elvin. I'll be contacting you when we get back, and we'll set up a time for you to be on the show. Uh, This next one comes from Maria. This is the last email. She says, I was listening to your Sunday broadcast from Vermont. You were noting how you were in Vermont and Bernie was in Minnesota, LOL. It reminded me of a question I had for you. Are you like-minded with Al Franken? Being a woman, I was welcoming of the Me Too movement. But if you ask me, I think ruining, uh, running Franken out on a rail was a casualty in an effort to show Republicans that we Democrats weren't hypocrites. Hysteria was not the answer then, and it's not the answer now. Evidence should be a thing. I listened to only three podcasts. Of course, uh, yours, Keith Oberman's, Countdown, and Al Franken. I would have 
emailed you all this, but it hasn't been about current events. So carry on and keep taking me off the proverbial edge through your podcast, TikTok. I'll be listening and watching Maria. She brings up a good question about Al Franken. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think Al Franken got jobbed. I think he is an excellent senator. And if we had him in the Senate right now, things would be going smoother. He was a sharp man. He's a funny man. And uh, he's an intelligent guy. What happened to him, um, it was right at the Me Too movement. And he had some women claiming he grabbed her butt. And then there was this picture of a woman, a military woman, sitting in a chair. And he was there with his hand, her hands, his hands, covering where her breasts are. Now, he wasn't even touching her. It was a joke picture, and that's not surprising because fucking Al Franken is a comedian. Now, did he act inappropriately? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But when we look back at all the shit that's gone on, Al Franken did the decent thing. There was an uproar about his situation because the Me Too you, uh, movement was brand new. He did the decent thing. He bowed his head. He said, I resign, and he moved on. Now, I will tell you, there were some Democrats that helped him make that decision, and those people should be ashamed because now all these years later, we've got people sitting in Congress that were part of an insurrection, and they're still in office. Donald Trump attempted treason and attempted insurrection, and he isn't in jail yet. So I agree with you, Maria. Al Franken got jobbed. We should try to get him back. Who knows? Maybe in 2024, Al will run for president. And you know what? I'd vote for that motherfucker because he's smart and he's decent, and I think he would do a hell of a job. But I'd like to see him at least back in the Senate at some point. So I agree with you 100%, Maria. I like Al Franken. I listen to his show from time to time. He's always entertaining to listen to. And he's a Minnesota boy. He's a homeboy for me. Grew up in St. Louis Park. I grew up in South Minneapolis, not that far apart. He's a little older than me. Don't know him. I did see him in a restaurant one time. I said hi, shook his hand. But that's the extent I know of Al Franken. But I like the guy, and I feel bad for him, and I feel bad for this country that we aren't getting the benefit of having Al Franken in the Senate at this point. The Democrats would be a stronger force against the Republicans if Al Franken was there. Uh, There's another story. This, This isn't really a story. It's just something I'm seeing, and it's annoying the shit out of me. As we get closer to the midterms, early November, we're not that far out. We're at mid-October now, two and a half, three weeks, we'll have the midterms, and then we'll be through all this shit. We initially heard that the Republicans were going to win because historically they always win when a Democratic president is elected. And I've always said, well, that's fine if you want to look at it historically, but what's going on now and what's been going on for the last two years has never been seen in history. So to try to compare it to something that happened over the years in history is a little ridiculous. And then people started talking about, well, you know, the Democrats are making some strides in the House and in the Senate. And it's getting closer. In fact, it looks like the Democrats may win the Senate and could win the House. 
So that was the story for a while. But now as we get closer, I'm watching the media. And I'm not talking about the right side media. I'm not talking the Fox media or OAN or Newsmax. I'm talking about the left side media, whether it be newspapers or on television. Now they're saying things like, well, did the Democrats speak too early? Oh, they're losing ground on this. They could be losing ground on this. And this pisses me off. This isn't real reporting. What this is, is them trying to stir the pot, try to get people nervous. Now, it might work to the benefit of the Democrats if they make people believe the Democrats uh, that they're coming up short, come to the midterms, that might encourage and might motivate other people to get out and vote. And that's a plus for the Democrats. But at the same time, I find it annoying. It's like they pull this shit out of their ass and they will always try to cause a controversy or drama. Because that drama and that controversy equates to viewers for them, which then in turn means more money for them. I'm very disappointed in the media in this country. It's horrible on all sides, the left and the right. They can't just tell you the facts. They've got to tell you the facts with a slant. And if you're not engaged enough or if you're not worried or scared enough, they're there to try to make you more scared. And that's what they're doing. Let's be perfectly honest. The midterms are coming up. There's a lot of people out there saying, look, if the Republicans win the House and the Senate, democracy's over. Well, that's a little overdramatic. I understand what the prospects are. They could very well do some things that damage uh, our democracy, and that should be something we could be concerned about. But my standpoint on something like this is I know what I think is going to happen. I have no crystal ball, so I don't know for sure. I'm just trying to gauge it based on the facts I see, and that's what I believe. So I really can't worry about what's going to happen with the midterms. Because what's going to happen is going to happen. We've done all we can from this side, and if enough people get out and vote, the Republicans can't win. It's as simple as that. It's about who gets out to vote, who gets the most people out to vote. Whoever that is wins, and I don't see how it's not the Democrats. So anyway, my, my mindset on this is, okay, we get to the midterms. Let's say the Republicans win. Oh, what to do now? What to do? It's not the end of the world. It's not even necessarily the end of democracy. It's just the next phase in the fight. What you have to understand is in the midterms, first of all, they don't take over till January. So if the Democrats are smart, they start running things through the House as quickly as possible. So when the Republicans do take charge, then all it has to do is go to the Senate and assuming we have the, the, the majority in the Senate, we still pass the shit. You got you to gotta focus on that. But as I say, I don't see them losing the House or the Senate. It just makes no sense. The Republicans have done nothing to help their cause since 2020. In fact, they've done everything they can to make it worse. But when I watch the media or I talk to some people and say, oh, my God, the midterms, it's going to be horrible. The world's going to end. I get very angry about this. I've often said I've often said that you don't go into any fight assuming you're going to lose. Nobody 
does that. Because if you assume you're going to lose, you can either curl up in the corner and shut up and take your whooping, or you're not going to be very strong because you have no confidence in the fight. Here's what you do. You fight like hell. You have all the confidence in the world. You presume you're going to win, and you go to war. If you win, cool. If you don't, it's not time to give up. It's time to say, okay, now what do I do different? How do I come at this harder? It's never over. You never really lose if you never quit trying. And I'm tired of hearing the media and some people saying, well, if they win, it's over. And it doesn't look good for the Democrats. Oh, my God, the the Republicans are catching up. This is all media bullshit. This is all media crap. And uh, you just, you just, we can't do much about it now. Everybody needs to get out and vote. And then we see what happens. If the best happens, great. If the worst happens, all right. Now we got to make a new plan and do it a different way. It's as simple as that. It's an important election. It's going to have a big factor on what the future of this country looks like. But that doesn't mean you just give up if you lose the midterms. Come on, man. You're fucking tougher than that. I wanted to talk about one other thing uh, before we take the break. You can tell that Donald Trump is feeling the pressure. Shit is falling on him from all over the place. He's cornered. He doesn't know what to do. He has no fucking clue what to do. He sends out a 14-page letter in response to the January 6th committee of subpoena him when they subpoena him. But it's just random bullshit. It really makes no sense. It's incoherent. So what's a boy to do when you've got no place to turn? Well, with Donald Trump and people of his ilk, what do they do? They claim victim and they blame somebody else. And it's funny who Donald Trump decided to blame. (laughs) Donald Trump decided to blame the Jewish people in Israel. Oh, he's mad at those people. Now, I don't know what that has to do with the elections here or his future as president, but he was basically saying he was admonishing the Jewish people in Israel because they don't support him more. He claims to have done more for Jews in Israel than anyone in history, and they need to get their shit straight and start supporting him. Now, I don't know uh, how it's helpful if all the Jews in Israel say, yeah, we support you, Donnie. What's that going to get you? It's not going to get you fucking elected. But Donnie has to distract and divert and delay, and that's what he's trying to do with this. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do, so he's just saying anything. And then he went on and talked to folks with the RNC, and then he started to spew this. He says, you know, the Democrats hate the Jews. (laughs) Really? I know a lot of Jewish people. 99% of them are fucking Democrats. So where do you get that from, Donnie? Donnie doesn't think about what he says. He doesn't know anything about from what he's talking. He just says anything in order to distract, divert, and delay. That's all he does. But when you see the things he's writing and the things he's saying now, you know this guy's almost done for because he's got nowhere to turn, has no clue what to do, and uh, he is currently fucking flailing. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right. Now, the big story of yesterday is a story we heard little bits and pieces over the years about. Nobody really paid much attention to it. But now it's been exposed, and it's really telling. It shouldn't be surprising that Donald Trump would do what we're going to talk about here. Now, while Donald Trump was in office, he bounced around to all his resorts. And, of course, his resorts made a lot of money from those visitants because the president was there, his whole staff, his Secret Service. All these people were there, and they were all paying money to Donald Trump's resorts. And there are a lot of people that are having a problem with this because of the emoluments clause. This is where a president isn't allowed to make money off his position or the office of president. And, of course, Donald Trump did it all the fucking time. This is just one of the examples. But this particular example is kind of egregious. And again, we heard about this before, but nobody made a big deal out of it. But now it's kind of hitting the streets and people are a little pissed off about it, and as well they should be. Donald Trump repeatedly charged the Secret Service for rooms at his hotels that sometimes cost more than $1,000 a night, significantly surpassing the government's budget for such spending and contradicting his previous claims, according to the documents uh, the Oversight House Oversight Committee released on Monday. So, you know, Congress is already looking into this and and one of the pre- previous emailers mentioned this and was wondering if he could be charged with something. And, and I believe he can, at, at very least the emoluments clause, but probably more than that. I mean, when you steal money from the United States government, if any one of us did that, we'd be seeing some jail time. And I have to, I have to bet that there is some legal aspects of that. Now, the documents which were released as part of the committee's year-long investigation into the former president's conflict of interest while in office reveal that Trump-owned properties racked up a small fortune during Trump's frequent trips to as many hotels from the time he took office through September of last year. The Secret Service was forced to make more than $1.4 million in total payments to those properties so agents could accompany Trump and his family. You see where the problem is here? He's being protected by the Secret Service. They have to go with him. They have to be near him to protect him. That's their fucking job. So he goes down to Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster or wherever the fuck he goes. He brings the Secret Service with him. And he says, you guys pick out some rooms. We'll bill the government, which is what he did. But these bills for rooms were like $1,000. Not 1000 for the week. Not 1000 for the month. 1000 fucking dollars a day or more. So you can see how this 
racked up to be $1.4 million. That's not even to mention Donald Trump, his family, his administration, all these fucking people. This was big, a big money grab for Donald Trump. So let's go down to Mar-a-Lago. I'm president. I'll act presidential. But bring the whole fucking crowd with him and then charge them exorbitant, I mean exorbitant rates on hotel rooms so that he could generate money. This reminds me of a story I'd heard about Donald Trump and his failed casino. (laughs) Donald Trump's all about doing this shady money thing. He did something similar to that or this here then. Now, he was in this casino and he was losing money. God knows how, because nobody loses money with casinos. But Donald Trump did. He always had daddy bail him out. The problem with it is when daddy bails him out by giving him money, there's a paper trail and there's probably taxes necessary in that situation. So Donald Trump, of course, doesn't like to pay taxes. So he's got to come up with an angle and he did come up with an angle. And here's what happened. Fred Trump, Donnie's dad, knew Donnie needed money, wanted to give him money. But he didn't want to pay taxes on it. He didn't want Donnie paying taxes on it. So he had to come up with a plan, a way to get that done. And you know how he did it? Fred Trump sent one of his employees uh, with a suitcase of like $3 million or something like that, two, three, four million. Some It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. So Fred set this guy down to Donnie's casino, and he bought a few million dollars in poker chips. So he took those poker chips, put that in the suitcase from which he got the money, and he took off. And guess what? Nobody ever cashed in those poker chips. So Daddy gave Donnie a few million dollars, never paid him back, of course, and there was no taxes involved because some guy just went in and bought poker chips and then never cashed them in. How lucky is that for Donald Trump? But it was Dad just trying to help him out. So, you see, Donald, Donald's all about the scam. And as soon as he became president, he realized, well, this is a moneymaker, I'm president. I can go anywhere. I can stay anywhere. I might as well stay at my places. And if I'm going to stay at my places, then I'm going to charge the government for the people who work around me. But that that wasn't enough. He had to take it a step further. Now, I'm going to make money because the Secret Service are staying with me in my hotel or my resort. Okay? That's sketchy enough. But that isn't enough for Donald Trump. Instead, what he does, he says, look, these rooms are normally about three, four hundred bucks a night, which is expensive. But for this Secret Service group, they're going to be a thousand, eleven hundred a night. Why? Well, because he fucking can. Because he was the president. He knew he could send these bills, even though they were over budget, into the government and they'd pay them because the president said to do it. Everything with Donald Trump is a scam. Everything is a grift, and it all benefits him, and it hurts everybody around him. So people are clearly upset about this, and and the previous emailer says, can he go to jail for this? Can he go to court? I would assume so. I don't know if it's the emoluments clause. It's fraud. Sounds like fraud to me. I don't know. 
That's just me. But we'll see what happens. I mean, the trouble with Donald Trump at this point, he's got so many lawsuits and so many investigations coming at him. It isn't a matter if they're all going to get him. It's who's going to get him first and then how many can follow up. He's going to be so wrapped up in legal problems. He's not going to be able to do anything. He's going to lose all his money. He's not going to run for any elected office again. And his life is going to be a living hell. We know who Donald Trump is. He is a fucking criminal. He is corrupt. He is thief. He is a grifter. And this is just one of the many things that he did. You know, this deal here where he was grifting the government by charging the Secret Service ridiculous, exorbitant prices on hotel rooms, that's like the least of his problems. I mean, treason (laughs) and insurrection, those are a little stronger. Uh, or trying to overturn an election in Georgia, those things are going to take precedence. This thing, they may go through it. There may be a court case, but they won't even get to that as far as putting somebody in jail. These other things will be the things that take Donald Trump down. So we'll see. We should not be surprised by Donald Trump trying to scam the U.S. government when he was the leader of the U.S. government. Now, If you go into a job, say you have a job and you're a vice president or a president, and you scam money out of that job, you know what they call that? They call that fucking embezzlement, and you go to jail. I don't know if in this situation that's technically embezzlement, but it sure the fuck sounds like it, doesn't it? All right, let's talk about Herschel Walker. And this is kind of interesting. First of all, uh, Herschel Walker at the debate, basically shit the bed. I mean, he looked like a fool. And there was no way he wasn't going to look like a fool because he's uh, inarticulate, he's not very bright, and he's a narcissist. While he's inarticulate and not very bright, he thinks he's incredibly articulate and brilliant. He doesn't even realize he's a fucking idiot. Now, there was another debate with another sponsor the next day guess what? He didn't even fucking show up. And that was probably a good move on his part because he did look like a fool. He hurt his chances in the first debate, so he just doesn't show up. But of course, he got got railed by Warnock for not showing up. Now, Herschel Walker is the GOP candidate for the U.S. Senate seat in Georgia. He's been held up about these... um, being staunchly against abortion and any exceptions to abortion. He said nobody should have any reason uh, that would allow them to get abortion. No abortions under any means. (laughs) Well, he's getting some heat over it. It's not helping him in the polls. So guess what? Herschel Walker is walking back some of his comments, calling for a total ban on abortion, saying he never said he was opposed to exceptions and laws limiting the procedure. Yeah, he did. A number of times. He absolutely said that. And and besides that, you know, wanting exceptions or not wanting exceptions are the smallest part of this thing. The fact of the matter is he still wants to overturn Roe v. Wade, he wants to ban abortions, and 70% of this country disagree with him. 
by saying, well, I'll agree with some exceptions. That doesn't save you, Herschel. You're still fucked up, and he doesn't even understand that. He doesn't even know that. Now, of course, Walker's a former football star. He's going up against Raphael Warnock. He was talking to NBC News' Christian Welker about his recent support of Georgia's so-called heartbeat law. Now, the law effectively prohibits abortion when cardiac activity is detected in an embryo, something that is usually possible around six weeks into a pregnancy when many people don't even know they're pregnant yet. And therein lies the problem. So this is what Herschel Walker has always said. <clears throat> but now, apparently, he's walking that back because I would say he figured out that it was a, not a winner for him in the election, but I doubt that. I don't think he's bright enough for that. I'm sure one of his uh, supporters or some other Republican said, Herschel, you really need to stop this shit. You're fucking it up. So now this is what he's trying to do. And it always amazes me when Republicans try to do this because, I mean, Jesus Christ, there's videotape of them saying these things. There's print in newspapers of them saying it. But this is how silly Republicans are. They'll say the sky is blue, and then two weeks later they'll say, I never said that. And then when you play the videotape of him saying the sky is blue, they say, oh, that tape is doctored. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I made the comparison sometime back uh, to uh, pro wrestling, and that's really pretty much it. That is what the Republicans have reduced elections down to, WWE wrestling. It's all about violence. It's all about lies. It's all about bullshit. Now, the WWE is fine because they're entertainment. These motherfucking Republicans aren't entertaining in the least, and they're damaging this country. Now, we have another Georgia candidate that we all love. Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's not quite as dumb as Herschel, but she's pretty fucking dumb. She's pretty dumb. Now, in a deep dive into the controversial Georgia Republicans' rapid rise uh, as the face of the Republican Party, extreme right wing, Greene expressed her belief that she represents the future of the party um, that McCarthy, if he wants to survive, needs to allow her to do as she wants when she wants. <laughs> this is interesting. Here's a woman that's had all her committees stripped from her. She basically does nothing in the House of Representatives except stir shit. She's the female version of Jim Jordan. She doesn't do anything. Not real happy with Kevin McCarthy, and she's already presuming that the Republicans will win back the House. And I hope she gets blindsided on that. I think she will. But now she's saying, look, if we win back the House, if you're the Speaker of the House or whatever the fuck you are, you got to give me some uh, sway here. I bring in lots of money. I bring in some votes, and I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what you say. And I find this funny because this tells me the Republican Party is in disarray. And if they're in disarray, they have far less chance of winning. Now, as the Times' Robert Draper wrote in Green's view, a Speaker McCarthy would have little choice but to adopt Green's 
a lot more aggressive approach during or toward punishing Biden and his fellow Democrats for what she sees as their policy derelictions and for conducting a witch hunt against former Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump. With that in mind, Taylor Greene told Draper in what he called a flat, unemotional voice that I think that to be the best Speaker of the House and to please the base, he's going to give me a lot of power and a lot of leeway. Not if he's smart, he isn't. And again, you're presuming the Republicans are going to win the House, and I tend to disagree with you. What? See, this is what I love uh, about the Republicans, and they always do this. I don't know if they're trying to convince the people of this country or they're trying to convince themselves. They come in with a preconceived notion, well, of course we're going to win. There's no question that we're going to win. Remember, they did that in 2020. Of course, Donald Trump is going to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't have any charisma. He's not a great speaker. Of course, Donald Trump's going to beat him. But what happened? Trump got his ass kicked. And that's what's going to happen, I believe, in the House in the midterms. But she's already trying to say, okay, Kevin, if you're going to be Speaker of the House, you better let me do what the fuck I want. I can assure you that's not going to happen. Now, first of all, Marjorie Taylor Greene's got to be Marcus Flowers in November, and I'm not sure she'll be able to do that or not. I know her district is pretty red, so she may win again. And if the people of her district re-elect her, shame on them. Marjorie Taylor Greene is an enemy of this country. If you support her and you vote for her, you too are a fucking enemy of this country. But she's already telling Kevin McCarthy what he's going to do. How do you think Kevin's going to feel about that? First, you better win the midterms and then see what Kevin McCarthy does. Oh, and there's something else to consider, Marjorie Taylor Greene. If it turns out that you were part of the insurrection, it doesn't matter if you win election in November Because guess what? You're going to be fucking expelled from Congress and you will never be allowed to run for re-election or election to fucking anything. So I think Marjorie Taylor Greene's getting a little presumptuous here. She's thinking she's all that and frankly, she ain't shit. And anybody thinks she's something, they have a problem as well. Now, we've talked about Christina Bob. She was a lawyer for Donald Trump. She had one simple wish in her life, to work for former President Donald Trump. The 39-year-old lawyer spent the aftermath of the 2020 election producing segments in her native Arizona for the far-right OAN network. She was a TV geek, peddling conspiracy theories about fake ballots on camera while simultaneously working behind the scenes on former President Donald Trump's ultimately doomed efforts to reverse the election. Now, she was basically serving as a cable host, but that wasn't enough. Even as she at times worked to aid Trump directly, including raising money for the forensic audit, that took a shit. You remember the cyber ninjas. She told viewers would expose Joe Biden's fraud. What Bob apparently wanted more than anything else was to work for Trump directly. That wish compelled her to quit OAN and move to Florida, where she took a staff job in March with the Trump-affiliated Save America PAC. 
And of course, we know she ultimately did work for Donald Trump directly. And she's got all kinds of trouble now. During this whole top secret document thing, you'll remember that she and another Trump lawyer concocted a um, document that told the FBI and the National Archives, yep, you got all the uh, top secret documents. We don't have any more. Thanks for coming. Well, they came again, and they served a search warrant. And guess what? They found top secret documents. This lawyer Corcoran, Evan Corcoran, was the one that wrote the document. And for some reason, he didn't want to sign it, but Christina Bob did. Apparently, she's not as sharp a lawyer as Evan Corcoran. Well, she signed this document. Turns out it was a lie, and this document was essentially an affidavit written and signed under oath. She said there were no more top-secret documents. Then the FBI came and found that there was more top-secret documents. Uh Uh-oh, that's trouble for a lawyer. You can lose your law license. You can go to jail for that fucking thing. But guess what? Now they're saying, well, we're not going to press charges against her. Why? Because she's cute? Because she's nice? No, because she's giving up evidence on her boss that she so badly wanted to work for. She's been pushed into a corner. She wanted to work for Donald Trump so bad she pushed the conspiracy theories. But now guess what? She's going to piss in Donald Trump's Cheerios because she's going to testify him against him regarding the top secret documents. He tried to get it delayed by going to the Supreme Court. They said, fuck yourself. So now Donald Trump is going to have to deal with this situation. In addition to the situation, now he's got his very own lawyer spilling the beans, spilling the tea, throwing him under the bus. So Christina Bob wanted to work for Donald Trump Uh, as her great goal in life, and she did, she fucked up, and now she's going to be the one that's one of the people that take down Donald Trump. (laughs) That's poetic justice for my money. So we're going to be hearing more about Christina Bob, the things she's going to have to say about Donald Trump, and none of it's going to be good, because see here, she committed a crime by doing what she did, and she could go to jail for it, certainly lose her law license. Now she's going to be forced to testify against Donald Trump in this situation with the top secret documents. But much like uh, Alan Weisselberg, Alan Weisselberg is testifying against the Trump Organization. Now, if either of these two decide to lie or back out of testifying against the Trump organization, or in the case of Christina Bob, Donald Trump, if they back out of it, then we got big time jail terms. Both of these two got a deal, and if they don't comply with their side of the deal, they are fucked. They're going to jail. They have no choice but to comply and tell the truth. So this isn't good news for Donald Trump. This isn't good news for... Uh, Christina Bob. Actually, it is good news. She almost ruined her life here by siding with Donald Trump, like a lot of people have over the years. But she found a way out, and she's going to testify against the very guy that she thought was her Lord and Savior. All right, we're getting down to the uh, later moments of the uh, podcast, and I wanted to bring something up, and this is about the Russia-Ukraine war. 
And there's a lot of shit starting to happen there. Ukraine is doing very well against Russia, but something happened yesterday, a little disturbing. Waves of explosive-laden suicide drones struck Ukraine's capital Monday, setting buildings ablaze, tearing a hole in one of them, and sending people scurrying for cover or trying to shoot them down in what the president said was Russia's attempt to terrorize civilians. The concentrated use of the kamikaze drones was the second barrage in as many weeks after months in which air attacks had become a rarity in central Kiev or Kiev. The assault sowed fear and frayed nerves as blasts rocked the city. Energy facilities were struck and one drone largely collapsed a residential building, killing four people, or so says the authorities. Now, I did hear one aspect of this news story that apparently Ukraine shot down probably 37 of these drones. And what Vladimir Putin is doing in this situation isn't really going to help win the war. It's basically, as as they said, trying to terrorize these folks and try to get them to the point where they'll just give up and fold up. Remember, they came into this war thinking they were going to win it in three days, that they were going to strike terror into the Ukrainians and they'd just fold up and die. Well, that's not what happened. They fought back, they fought hard, and they started winning against the Russian troops. Russian troops not as strong, not as powerful, not as resilient as they once thought. And that's because it was all bullshit. I mean, that's what bullies do. They tell you they're the most powerful person in the world, and you better just give up. But the Ukrainians did not do that. So now the Russians are in trouble. Their country is paying a huge price because of the uh, because of the sanctions put on by Joe Biden. Uh, not to mention all the lives being lost in Ukraine, the Russian soldiers dying. It's become a huge fucking mess for Vladimir Putin. So much like Donald Trump, he's in a situation where he's going to try anything. He's like a monkey throwing shit (laughs) at the visitors to the zoo. He's just throwing anything against the wall to see what will work. He's desperate at this point. Now, what he's doing here is a desperate move, and it is tragic because he is doing a lot of damage to the, the city of Kiev. He's injuring and killing people. And there has to come a point in this whole process where somebody says, fucking enough, we're going to stop this. He's talking about nuclear weapons and all this stuff. And somebody needs to say, stop, we're not doing this anymore. I know America and all the other members of NATO don't want to appear that they're going after Russia directly. So they're providing weapons and other kinds of materials to Ukraine. But this has been going on for a year now. A lot of people have died. They're destroying a beautiful country and beautiful cities. And it's going on over and over again. We know that Vladimir Putin's in trouble. We know that his own people might take him out, but they haven't done it as yet. We don't know how many more people have to die before the Russians do something and try to help themselves as well as the Ukrainians. 
So at some point, NATO and the United States of America are going to have to do something to put more pressure on. Now, granted, if they do that, we risk the possibility of nuclear war, which nobody wants because nobody will fucking survive, including the Russians. But Vladimir Putin, who is desperate, who can't admit he's wrong, can't step back from anything. All he does is double down, double down, double down, just like Donald Trump and all the narcissistic Republicans do. So something has to happen here. And really, the only thing that can happen to change anything is somehow Vladimir Putin gets taken out. Now, I know there would be no official attempt by the United States to take Vladimir Putin out or any other NATO country. They wouldn't say, we're taking Vladimir Putin out, we're going to kill him, we're going to get him out of there, whatever. They would never do it officially, but there's all kinds of covert activity by the Americans and other NATO countries. You would think by now they would figure out a way to slip in there and take this guy down and try to settle things down in Russia, stop the threats, stop the criminal activity, stop the corruption, stop the tragic killing of people, not only the Ukrainians, but the Russians as well. There's no point for the war. There never has been a point for the war. What Vladimir Putin explains is all bullshit. Somebody's got to do something here at some point. Somebody's got to stop this shit. Otherwise, It'll be endless killing in Ukraine. And again, I'm talking about Russians and I'm talking about Ukrainians. So I'm hoping against hope at some point during these winter months, fighting a war in the winter is going to be a lot tougher for both sides, not just Ukraine. You would have to think that something's going to happen here. Something's going to change to get this thing stopped. It can't continue like it's going. It just it can't. People with any kind of compassion, meaning the United States and people of NATO, can't sit back and continue to watch this. Now, I'm not smart enough to suggest what they need to do, but I got to think there's something they can do. And they better get on their fucking bicycle and get it done. Because people are dying. A country is being destroyed. The people of Russia are suffering. They can't get food. They don't have money. I mean, this is a mess for everybody. The only person that seems to be happy with what's going on is Vladimir Putin. So he is the problem. So what do you do when you have a problem? You cut that problem out. That happens to be Vladimir Putin. I don't care who does it, Russia, America, one of the other NATO countries, or all of them together. But the goal here should be getting Vladimir Putin out of office, ASAP. Fucking ASAP. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.